are healthy and you are well, and uh, that uh, we're going to study God's Word as we move into chapter 50 of the book of Jeremiah. Father, we do ask that you would just bless this time the study of your Word, and we thank you for the privilege of studying this incredible book. And so I pray that as we look at Babylon, that there's something here for us to look at and to uh, realize that, Lord, that you are the one that is on the throne and in control. And your word is true. And these things that haven't come to pass will come to pass. So we commit this time to study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jeremiah has been such an incredible book. A lot of Christians have never read through the book of Jeremiah, perhaps portions of it. But Jeremiah is one of the major prophets that we have in the Old Testament that we've been looking at over the last several months. And 52 chapters, we've covered 49 of them. And Jeremiah comes on the scene in about 626 B.C. when Josiah was the king of Judah. He was a godly king. The last of the good kings, as you know from our previous studies. And Jeremiah, even during that time that he was warning the people that you need to give your hearts to the Lord. Because even though Josiah, that godly king, had, uh, had announced and he had proclaimed that there's going to be uh, temple worship restored. And he made reforms in the land. He got rid of the places of idol worship that had been there since his grandfather Manasseh and his father. Uh, they were plunged deep, deep into idol worship during that time. But that idleness, uh, the, the worship and the uh, desire to, to be drawn to those idols was still in the hearts of the people, even though those reforms came. There wasn't real revival. And we see it early in Jeremiah's message that the Lord says that you're coming to me, but it's in pretense. It's, it's not real. You're going through the motions. And you need to understand that during this time that there was a form of religiousness, but there wasn't true relationship and devotion to the Lord. Uh, there, there was the observing of the Sabbath and some of the festivals and feasts that are spelled out in, in the Old Testament, but it was mixed in with a lot of uh, paganism, and, and that got worse and worse, the paganism, and they began to make uh, cakes to the Queen of Heaven and, and all these other things. So Jeremiah, for over 40 years, was given a warning that judgment is going to come because of your idol worship and refusing to turn to the Lord. We also saw the condition of the nation and God's people, the house of Judah, as the people were uh, ripping each other off. They were deceitful. They were violent. They were, they were immoral. There was a lot of problems morally and spiritually that was taking place here in Judah. Well, as soon as Josiah in 609 B.C. was killed by the king of Egypt, the people went full-blown into uh, idol worship. And the last four kings, the sons of Josiah that ruled, had plunged the nation deep into idol worship once again. And we know that uh, they uh, were evil kings, did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, particularly Jehoiakim, who ruled for 11 years. And, And during his rule, Nebuchadnezzar, as Babylon would rise up to power, Uh, as we know historically, as we know biblically, going through the book of Jeremiah, that he would come into Jerusalem, and his 70 years of captivity would begin at that time. 
Daniel was taken off into captivity. Uh, the choice man of Judah, just as uh, it was Isaiah that had told Hezekiah over a hundred years before that time that this is what's going to happen. And the Babylonians are going to take some of the treasuries of the temple away. And that's exactly what happened beginning in 605 B.C. Then there was another uh, uh, coming in deportation of, of the house of Judah in 597 B.C., and then the final assault on Jerusalem happened in 586 B.C., and that was during the reign of Zedekiah. Zedekiah, the last king of the house of Judah, told by Jeremiah, do not rebel against Nebuchadnezzar or the city is going to be destroyed, and he did not heed the word of the Lord, and so Jerusalem is destroyed in 586 B.C., and Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was a magnificent structure that you read about there in First Kings and also in Second Chronicles, overlaid with gold, huge ornate stones. Uh, the description of it is absolutely amazing. The number of workers that worked on it for seventy or seven years, like seventy thousand uh, workers on site, and eighty thousand in the quarry, and, and and thousands of them that were uh, there bringing timber in from Tyre and Sidon. It's really amazing to read about. The description of Solomon's temple, all of that was leveled by Nebuchadnezzar and his armies. And so Jerusalem laid in rubble during that time. And we saw that in chapter 39. And then in chapter 40 through 45, we saw what happened after the destruction of Jerusalem as Jeremiah and a remnant were uh, taken off to Egypt when the Lord said to stay there in Judah. And Jeremiah continued to warn the people, don't rebel against the Lord, but they did. So all those chapters that we have seen, and now the final section of the book of Jeremiah, chapters 46 through 51, we see God's proclamation against the nations that surrounded Judah, that surrounded Israel. We've seen the proclamation against Egypt. We saw the proclamation against uh, Moab and Ammon and also Edom and Damascus and Elam as we ended chapter 49 last time. And now we're going to see in chapters 50 and 51 the proclamation against Babylon. And then in the final chapter of, of Jeremiah, which we will finish next week, we're going to see the recount of the destruction of Jerusalem. But chapters 50 and 51 are long chapters, and it deals with Babylon. It's kind of interesting that God pronouncing judgment on Babylon, and keep in mind that as we go through these two chapters that Jeremiah is given this prophecy some 65 years or so before Babylon falls. He is given this prophecy at the height of the power of, of Babylon, and when Babylon ruled the world, they didn't rule for a long time. But Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And Babylon uh, would crush everyone and crush that, that area of the Middle East in northern Africa that, that we look at. And uh, they would fall eventually to the Medes and the Persians. So in chapter 50, the word of the Lord spoke against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah was devoted to speak about the defeat and destruction of Jerusalem in all the chapters that we saw. And then in chapters 46 through 49, we saw about 121 verses to the judgment of the other nations. Here in these two chapters, there's 110 verses 
that speak of the destruction of Babylon. So this is an important subject. Babylon is mentioned all throughout the Bible, all the way from Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation. And Babylon is mentioned, I believe, second to Jerusalem uh, as a, a point of reference, as a place. Uh, and we know that uh, in chapter 10 of the book of Genesis, that's where we see Babylon is first mentioned. Nimrod, who was the founder of Babylon, a mighty hunter. And then chapter 11 of the book of Genesis, we see that the Tower of Babel that is there, it was a tower in rebellion to God, and God dealt with them and spread out the people throughout the face of the earth. So that's where Babylon began. And Babylon has always been the center, the place of false worship and demonic activity. And we see that Babylon, being here, used by God to bring judgment on Judah, but also there's future implication as well. Because when you get to the book of Revelation, at the end of the tribulation period, we see uh, the uh, destruction of commercial Babylon, and that is uh, the city of Babylon, what is described as a city, being destroyed in one hour, utter destruction by fire brimstone the smoke of her ashes being seen, uh, the lamenting of the kings of the earth. So commercial Babylon destroyed right before the second coming of Jesus Christ. That description is given to us. Uh, Jesus' second coming in Revelation chapter 19. But in chapter 17, we also see the fall of religious Babylon, that worldwide false church that will be on the scene in the beginning of the tribulation period. Now, keep in mind, when we went through the book of Revelation last year in 2019, that the tribulation period, seven years long, described to us in Revelation chapter 6 through 19, and it is divided up into two, three and a half years. Um, You see that term, uh, time, times and a half time. That's three and a half years. Time is a year. Um, You see 42 months, uh, 1,200 in 60 days. That's, 300, uh, that's three and a half years. And the first half we see what happens is that there's going to be a worldwide false church that will rise up on the scene. And it is supported by the Antichrist, the woman riding the beast, the woman being the false church, the beast being the Antichrist. He will use that worldwide false church as even Paul describes, that there will be a falling away in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And as that worldwide false church comes on the scene, then it's going to be supported by the Antichrist. But in the middle of that final week, Daniel's 70th week, a week is a seven-year period, and the tribulation period begins with the Antichrist coming on the scene according to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, and Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, then in the middle of the week, as Second Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us, the Antichrist will then go into the temple in Jerusalem. There's not a temple now. They're preparing for it. But the temple will be rebuilt, the third temple, and because uh, the first two temples have been destroyed. It's called the Tribulation Temple. He will desecrate the temple. Uh, he will set up an image of himself. He will command the world to worship him uh, because he is going to 
desire to be worshipped. He's under the direct control of Satan. Satan has always wanted to be worshipped. That's why he rebelled against God. According to Isaiah chapter 14, that he wanted to sit upon the throne of God, be exalted as God, to be worshipped as God. And, of course, it, it was Lucifer that fell and became Satan. Uh, Jesus said, I saw Lucifer, Satan, fall like lightning to the earth. And so he is the God, little g, of this world. He wants to be worshipped. He will directly control the Antichrist. The last three and a half years, which we saw in chapter 30 of Jeremiah, is called what? Jacob's trouble or the great tribulation period. At that point, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 tells us, is the abomination of desolation. That is when the Antichrist, uh, that's a very important timetable, will then destroy the two witnesses in Jerusalem, Revelation chapter 11, and then he will command to be worshipped. He will persecute very heavily the tribulation saints and the Jews at that time. They will flee to the rock city of Petra. So all those things are taking place during this time. And, and at that time as well, he would destroy religious Babylon because he doesn't need that false church anymore. He wants to be worshipped alone. He wants everyone's allegiance. And of course, you will not be able to buy or sell according to Revelation chapter 13 unless you give your allegiance to him. Take the mark of the beast unless you worship him. So the world's going to be given over to uh, Satan worship, uh, to worship being the beast and marveling at the beast. So all these things are going on. Uh, so Babylon is is very important subject in the scriptures. And so Babylon, at the height of her power in this time of Jeremiah, Daniel is in Babylon. He's giving uh, prophecy concerning Babylon as well. Ezekiel is there. We're going to go into the book of Ezekiel. First, we're going to do the book of Lamentation in December. And then we're going to go into the book of Ezekiel. Incredible book. You don't want to miss it. And the Babylonians were very prideful, very arrogant, so seemed like secure. And, and the city was a mighty city, uh, 15 square miles. It had walls around the city. Now, some of the, the, uh, the dimensions of the wall given by others, I've read that some say that the walls were hundreds of feet high. But I think that's an exaggeration. I believe that the walls, uh, that what is written and what archaeologists believe is the wall around Babylon was about 40 feet high. And there was at least two walls. Uh, we know that uh, from uh, archaeology. And also the Bible indicates that as well. And there are some that believe that there is actually three walls around the city of Babylon. They were 40 feet high. They did have chariot races on top of those walls, but it was very fortified, and the city was very beautiful. It was known for the hanging gardens, the hanging gardens that rose uh, 80 feet high and could be seen for miles through the plains of Shinar. And we also know that, um, that Babylon was very secure, had a lot of supplies, seven gates it is believed that Babylon had, ancient Babylon at this time. Remember that as you go to the book of Daniel, then in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar is looking out at Babylon, and he's boasting. He said, what a magnificent city that I have built. What an incredible city. And then he goes insane for seven years as God humbles Nebuchadnezzar. And so that's Babylon. Um, and we know that uh, the Euphrates rivers, as I said, ran underneath the wall, the outer wall of Babylon. And then it was kind of a moat. 
And there was an inner wall, at least one inner wall, that was there. And it's interesting because when you go to Daniel chapter 5, you see the fall of Babylon that is told to us uh, through the book of Daniel. It fell one night, and there is Belshazzar. Uh, he is the king, along with his, his father, who's been out to battle, warring against the, the Medes and the Persians that have come together in this alliance. And we know that uh, he would be probably defeated by the time that Daniel chapter 5 takes place. All that's left is the city of Babylon. Belshazzar, the co-ruler, his son, is there in the city taking care of the affairs of the Babylonian government. He's having this party. He has a thousand of his lords in this big banquet hall. They had brought out the vessels that they had taken, uh, his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar, from Jerusalem. The cups, the pitchers, uh, you know, the bowls, whatever they could drink out of. And, and they were pouring wine and drinking and toasting to the gods of the Babylonians. And all of a sudden, behind Belshazzar, there was a writing on the wall. Uh, just like kind of you see here the, the graphic behind us. But can you imagine seeing a hand writes on the wall behind him, mini, mini, tekle, you farces. And, and so Belshazzar freaked out, and Daniel came out, interpret the handwriting on the wall, many, many tekel farces, that Belshazzar, you've been found being weighed in the scales and, and found wanting. Uh, and you are going to be killed tonight, and your uh, kingdom is going to be handed over to the Medes and the Persians. And on that night, what was happening was something that Isaiah had prophesied um, and, and uh, some 200 years before it happened, that as you read the end of chapter 44 of Isaiah, verse 27, let me read it to you. Who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers? Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Then in verse 1 of Chapter 45, thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut, and I will go before you. So here's the interesting thing. 200 years before Cyrus was even born, that Isaiah names him by name, says you're going to be used of the Lord, his servant, and Cyrus would make that proclamation just at the end of Isaiah chapter 44 says that you're going to perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built into the temple, your foundation shall be laid. So 539 B.C., Daniel chapter 5, uh, Cyrus, what he did is he diverted the flow of the Euphrates River, quite an engineering feat. He would then walk under the walls in the inner walls, there were found open, just as chapter 45 said, that the open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. And he went into the city, and he took over the city, killed Belshazzar, and then Daniel ended up being a ruler, a leader in the Medo-Persian Empire. So it's amazing how God's word is accurate. As we go through this prophecy here of Babylon being uh, judged by the Lord again, Jeremiah writing this in the height of Babylon's power that there is near fulfillment, 
when they would be taken by the Medes and the Persians. And then there is future fulfillment that I believe speaks of Revelation chapter 18. So we got to kind of go through this and, and, and consider all these things reading this. So let's read verse 2, the judgment against Babylon that declare among the nations, proclaim and set up a standard, proclaim, do not conceal it, say Babylon is taken, Bel is shamed, Merodach is broken in pieces, her idols are humiliated, her images are broken in pieces. For out of the north a nation comes up against her, which shall make her land desolate, and no one shall dwell therein, they shall move, they shall depart, both man and beast. Verse 4, in those days and in that time, says the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, and they and the children of Judah together. With continual weeping they shall come and seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces towards it, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten. So as we read this here, the, the, the deities of Babylon are not going to help you. Uh, they're going to be broken in pieces. Her idols are humiliated, verse 2. And as powerful as Babylon was, those gods did not help Babylon whatsoever. And we see the same indictment was given against the other nations, and particularly with Egypt. And with Egypt, your, your chariots, your uh, fast Arabian horses, uh, your Egyptian wisdom, the wisdom of Pharaoh is not going to help you at all. Judgment is going to come. And one of the lessons that we have learned going through Jeremiah and these books of the prophets in the Old Testament is, is those idols could not help them. And you see Isaiah, which you read his book, he particularly focuses on the foolishness of idols worship. Why do you turn to those idols? They have ears, they can't hear, they have eyes, they can't see, they have a mouth, they can't speak. Uh, you have to tote them around. They're, they're no help to you. Turn to the Lord, the true and the living God, the creator of heaven and earth. And it's true for our lives today that idols will not help us. Anything that we put in place over the Lord that we turn to and trust in over the Lord, that we're really to compromise the ways of the Lord and our devotion to the Lord, to pursue that thing, that becomes an idol to us. And we will find out that that idol will not bring us true satisfaction and fulfillment and joy, cannot help us in our lives truly. Only the Lord is our help. He is our strength. He's our stability. He's our joy. He's our peace. He's everything that we need. So those idols are not going to help Babylon. Now, as I mentioned, Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians. And it's interesting, as you go to the book of Daniel, I just want to remind you once again, especially a week after the election, that Daniel interpreted a dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And it was Daniel that said, Nebuchadnezzar, you saw this image of a man, the head of gold, that's you. God has given you a kingdom and power and glory, but you're going to be replaced by another, the chest and arms of silver. And then that's the Medo-Persian Empire. They would rule for about 200 years. Medo-Persian Empire is going to be replaced by the, the, the uh, stomach and, and the thighs of brass, which is Alexander the Great, and the Grecian Empire. And then the legs of iron was the Roman Empire. Then the feet of clay mingled, mingled with iron. And the ten toes is this revived Roman Empire, the ten toes, 
uh, are ten kings that will be around when the rock comes and strikes the image that is the kingdom of God that will last forever. So it, it's a study we can't get into all tonight, but Daniel's prophesying, your kingdom's going to go away, Nebuchadnezzar. And, and here's the thing, the kingdoms of the world are going to go away. God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come on the scene for his purposes, and we know that God knows the end from the beginning, the book of Isaiah Please keep that in mind because we belong to a kingdom that lasts forever. And the rock's going to come and strike man's kingdom and all the kingdoms and nations of the world are going to fall and bow to him. He's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Uh, Psalm chapter 2 tells us when the Messiah comes and sets up his kingdom. So we can rejoice in that, that we belong to a kingdom that lasts forever. So first of all, out of the north, a nation comes against her as we read. Um, and as we read this, some of the references that we're going to look at don't fit the, the fall historically of the, of the fall of Babylon. Because what we're going to read is it's going to speak of desolation, uh, destruction such as Sodom and Gomorrah. And that fits more of what we read in Revelation chapter 18. But out of the north, the nation comes against her as we begin to read this proclamation against Babylon. Um, these, these chapters speaking about desolation, Cyrus, when he took Babylon and he came in and killed Belshazzar, he did not lay waste the land. He did not destroy the city where no one lived in it because Jeremiah is going to repeat that the city is going to be inhabited. So there's a future, you know, fulfillment that is yet to, to be. Matter of fact, when Alexander the Great came and he took over the known world for the Medes and the Persians, Alexander the Great, you know that he was at a young age. He conquered the known world. He was 33 years old when he ended up dying. Uh, he was drinking one night. If you know from your high school history lessons that the cry of Alexander was, are there no more worlds for me to conquer? He gets drunk. He walks back to his tent in the soaking rain, and he falls asleep, and he ends up dying of pneumonia at the age of 33. And then the Grecian Empire would divide up into four sections. The book of Daniel talks about that very specifically in Daniel's final vision of chapters 10 and 11 into the first part of chapter 12. But again, we, we see that uh, historically that Alexander the Great, he wanted to restore Babylon. He wanted to make Babylon uh, his capital uh, when he ended up dying in Babylon. That's where he ended up dying. So no one fled the city when it fell to the Medes and the Persians. And we know that, um, that uh, as verse 4, I believe, is speaking of a future time when the people of Judah and Israel will unite and come together, return to Zion, as we read, bind themselves to God in an everlasting covenant. A new covenant that we read about in chapters 33, 32 and 33 of the book of Jeremiah. You might want to review that. Now, there are those who point, again, to, you know, historically what happened to Babylon. Um, but uh, we know that there is going to be the ultimate destruction, Revelation chapter 18 of Babylon. It's going to happen in one hour. So these verses are speaking about a near fulfillment and then a far fulfillment. Uh, the near fulfillment, that is the fall of Babylon, the return of the captives back to Judah, the ultimate future fulfillment, 
of the fall of Babylon, Revelation chapter 18, and the final restoration of Israel and Judah coming together in the millennium reign in the restoration of, of Israel. So what has happened is that Babylon is, is a subject when it comes to end-time prophecy and study. There are many that are looking for the city of Babylon to be rebuilt. Uh, back in the 80s, there were some that were really excited because Saddam Hussein, those of us who are old enough to remember, remember Saddam Hussein, uh, he would try to attempt to rebuild Babylon. He said he's going to rebuild Babylon, um, and it was a vain attempt. It was a very futile attempt. Uh, uh, attempt. It was never rebuilt. It always ended up just being an archaeological site, and, and so nothing really came of that. So is Babylon going to be rebuilt and become a great commercial city and then destroyed as Revelation chapter 18? As described here as we continue, we'll go through it at a little faster pace here. Or is Babylon just symbolic, chapter 18, of perhaps New York City, um, you know, the Babylonian world system, commercial system, as the city is near a sea because the shipmasters see the smoke arising as the city is destroyed by fire and brimstone uh, in one hour. Is it speaking of perhaps New York City or something like that? That's where the debate comes in. But let's read on as we read in verse 6. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds had led them astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. All who found them have devoured them. And their adversary said, We have not offended because they have sinned against the Lord, the habitation of justice, the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Verse 8. Move from the midst of Babylon. Go out to the land of the Chaldeans. Be like the rams before the flocks. For behold, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country, and they shall array in themselves against her. From there she shall be captured. Their arrows shall be like those of an expert warrior. None shall return in vain, and Chaldea shall become plunder. All who plunder her shall be satisfied, says the Lord. It's interesting that God used Babylon to bring judgment on his people because they were like lost sheep sinned against God, but God says that, you know, as he summons his sheep to leave Babylon because he's going to judge her. And as we read verse 9, it's interesting that there's a reference to the nations of the north. I remember back in about 1990 when George H.W. Bush got a coalition of nations to go to Kuwait to fight against Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein uh, Babylon is uh, where Iraq is today. And Saddam Hussein went and invaded Kuwait in the oil fields. And so we went in the first Persian Gulf War against Saddam Hussein, drove him out. Some say that this was a, a fulfillment here. I think that may be stretching it a bit. Uh, as we read this, the arrows shall be like those of an expert warrior, speaking of the smart bombs that were used, but uh, it's interesting that it speaks of uh, great nations from the north country coming against them. Some say it's just the Medo-Persian you know, empire. Uh, that's from the east more, uh, Persia with Iran to the east, a little bit north of the Medes, um, or is it talking about a future time? Verse f uh, 11, as we read, because you were glad, because you rejoiced, you destroyers of my heritage, because you've grown fat, 
like a heifer threshing grain, and you bellowed like bulls. Your mother shall be deeply ashamed. She who bore you shall be ashamed. Behold, the least of the notions shall be, uh, least of the nations, that is, shall be a wilderness. Verse 13, uh, because the wrath of the Lord, she shall not be inhabited, but she shall be wholly desolate. Everyone who goes by Babylon shall be horrified and hiss at uh, all her plagues. So Babylon sinned in, um, you know, proudly destroying Judah. And again, the reference that Babylon is going to be desolate. Verse 14, put yourselves in array against Babylon all around. All you who bend the bow, shoot at her, spare no arrows, for she has sinned against the Lord. Shout against her all around. She has given her hand. Her foundations have fallen. Her walls are thrown down, for it is the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance on her as she has done, so do to her. Cut off the sower from Babylon and him who handles the sickle at harvest time. For fear of the oppressing sword, everyone shall turn to his own people and everyone shall flee to his own land. So when Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians, the walls did not fall down. So this is a future fulfillment, God's vengeance that is coming. Also, we do know that when in the Gulf War, when we went against um, Iraq, that it wasn't destroyed. It, it wasn't a desolation as well. But in verse 17, we read, Israel is like a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First the king of Assyria devoured him. Now at last his, this Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon has broken his bones. So as we read this, Assyria taking the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes, the house of Israel, into captivity in 722 B.C., and then Nebuchadnezzar beginning in 605 B.C. And here it says that, um, that Israel is like scattered sheep, the lines had driven him away. But then it begins to speak about a future restoration once again. Verse 18, therefore, thus says the Lord God, uh, Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will punish the king of Babylon in his land as I have punished the king of Assyria. But I will bring back Israel to his home, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan. His soul shall be satisfied in Mount Ephraim and Gilead. In those days and at that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought, but there shall be none. The sins of Judah, but they shall not be found. For I will pardon those whom I preserve. That's the future restoration of Israel and go up against the land of Marathiam, against it, against the inhabitants of Picad, waste and utterly destroy them, says the Lord, and do according to all that I have commanded you. Verse 22, a sound of battle is in the land and of great destruction. How the hammer of the whole earth has been cut apart and broken. How Babylon has become a desolation among the nations. I have laid a snare for you as we continue reading. Verse 24, you have indeed been trapped, O Babylon, and you are not aware. You have been found and also caught because you have contended against the Lord. The Lord has opened his armory and has brought out the weapons of his indignation. For this is the work of the Lord, God of hosts, in the land of the Chaldeans. Come against her from the farthest borders. Open her storehouses. Cast her up as heaps of ruins and destroy her utterly. Let nothing of her be left. Slay all her bulls. Let them go down to the slaughter. Woe to them, for their day has come, a time of their punishment. The voice of those who flee and escape from the land of Babylon declares in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God, the vengeance of his temple. So God is saying that he would attack the land and punish it 
punish it. Again, the mention that Babylon would be desolate. The Lord has sent weapons of his indignation. Uh, The Jews escaped from the land of Babylon. Their response is that Babylon's getting what they deserve because they burnt down the temple in Jerusalem. In verse 29, call together the archers against Babylon and all who bend the bow and camp against it all around. Let none of them escape. Repay her according to her work, according to all she's done to do to her. For she has been proud against the Lord and against the Holy One of Israel. Therefore her young men shall fall in the streets, and all her men of war shall be cut off in that day, says the Lord. Behold, I am against you, O most haughty one, says the Lord God of hosts, dealing with again their pride, mentioning them. For your day has come, the time that I will punish you. And the most proud shall stumble and shall fall. Proverbs says that uh, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. And no one will raise him up, and I will kindle a fire in the cities, and I will devour all around him as we read this. So again, the Persians were great, and the bows and arrows that came against them, um, uh, they were great um, at using those weapons, and Babylon would fall in one night, again, Daniel chapter 5. But in verse 33, thus says the Lord of hosts, the children of Israel were oppressed along with the children of Judah. All who took captive have held them fast. They, they have refused to let them go. Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He will thoroughly plead their case that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. As we read this, God is for his people. He is their Redeemer, and he's our Redeemer. He's going to bring them back, but he's our Redeemer. He's purchased us. He has bought us back from the world, from Babylon, through the precious blood. Peter writes that we've been redeemed, not with silver and gold, incorruptible things, but by the precious blood of the Lamb. And we belong to a kingdom that will last forever, that will be established forever. We are his people. And in verses 35 through 38, we see that it it speaks of dealing more with the Babylonian. The sword is against the Chaldeans, says the Lord, against the inhabitants of Babylon, against their princes and against their wise men, against the soothsayers, and they will be fools. A sword against her mighty men, and they will be dismayed. A sword against their horses, against their chariots, against all the mixed peoples who are in her midst, and they will become like women. A sword against her treasures, and they will be robbed. A drought is against her waters, and they will be dried up. For it is the land of carved images, and they are insane with their idols. So God's going to deal with the Babylonian, the wise men, astrologers, fortune tellers. Remember that in chapter 2 and chapter 5 of Daniel, when you read those chapters, that it was the king of Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar and then Belshazzar, that called for the wise men of Babylon to help them. To, to, hey, tell me the dream and interpret the dream, chapter 2. Tell me the handwriting on the wall. They could not help. They could not help. And that's where Daniel stepped in, and he was used of God to give the dream, the interpretation of the dream, and to interpret the handwriting on the wall. People trust in all kinds of things to guide them and help them, to save them. And those things will fail them. They will fail them. It's God's word that's going to help us. And Babylon ended up becoming poor and unproductive. And, and, and because they trusted in those things that did not help them, in the false wisdom and false strength, 
And those things will fail anyone that turns to them uh, to guide them, to direct them. The Babylonian wisdom, the world's wisdom, they will fail you. Therefore, the wild desert beasts shall dwell there with the jackals. The ostriches shall dwell in it and shall inhabit it no more forever. Nor shall it dwell from a generation to generation. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbors, says the Lord, so no one shall reside there, nor son of man dwell in it. So as we read this, you know, again, there's this reference to the destruction of Babylon is Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was wiped out. Uh, by fire and brimstone, as you know from the book of, of Genesis. And chapter 18 of Revelation speaks of fire and brimstone. So it's a future, um, you know, fulfillment that will happen. So is Babylon, the city, going to be rebuilt? I don't see Babylon being rebuilt. The, the original site where Babylon was being a huge commercial center. Some say it has to be rebuilt, um, whether that is or it's just a reference to the Babylonian system in um, chapter 18. Uh, time is going to tell, but it's going to, be, uh, it's going to be fulfilled what is said here. And then as we finish the chapter, Behold, the people shall come from the north, a great nation and many kings. It keeps speaking about these nations from the north. Shall be raised up from the ends of the earth and shall hold the bow and the lance and are cruel and shall not show mercy the voice shall roar like the sea. They shall ride on horses, set in ray, like a man for battle against you, O daughter of Babylon. The king of Babylon has heard the report about them, and his hand grows feeble. Anguish has taken hold of him, pangs of a woman in childbirth. Behold, he shall come up like a lion from the floodplain of the Jordan, against the dwelling place of the strong. But I will make them suddenly run away from her. And who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? For who is like me? Who will reign me? And who is the shepherd who will withstand me? There's no one like the Lord. And so this, this massive army coming against Babylon and the king of Babylon, uh, that his hands grow feeble, and um, he's heard the report and pangs of a woman in childbirth. Therefore, hear the counsel of the Lord that he has taken against Babylon, his purpose that he has proposed against the land of the Chaldeans. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. Surely he will make their dwelling place desolate with them. The noise of taking Babylon, the earth trembles, and the cry is heard among the nations. So I think this is a future fulfillment. The king uh, will become very fearful, full of anguish. Uh, the army that comes against Babylon is not going to show any mercy to Babylon. The world's going to tremble at God's judgment of Babylon. Chapter 51, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up against Babylon, against those who dwell, Leb, Kamai, the, a destroying wind, and I will send winnowers to Babylon, who shall winter her and empty her land. For in the day of doom they shall be against her all around, against her let the archer bend his bow, and lift himself up against her in his armor. Do not spare her, young man. Utterly destroy all her army. And thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans and, and those thrust through in her streets. For Israel is not forsaken, nor Judah, but his God, the Lord of hosts, and through their land was fulfilled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. So Babylon would be blown away like the winnowing of the chaff of the wheat. God's going to be faithful to his people. And then let's finish up verse 6. Flee from the midst of Babylon, and everyone save his life. Do not cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He shall recompense her. Babylon was a golden cup, verse 7, in the Lord's hand. 
that made all the earth drunk with the nations drunk her wine. Therefore the nations are deranged. Babylon suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may heal. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her and let her go, everyone to his own country. For her judgment reaches to heaven and is lifted up to the skies. The Lord has revealed our righteousness. Come, let us declare Zion, the work of the Lord our God. You see the same phraseology that you find, what we just read here in verses 6 through 10, of what you find in Revelation chapter 18. That their smoke raises to the heaven um, uh, and lifted to the skies. Uh, you read the same thing. All the earth was made drunk by drinking her wine, you know, the Babylonian system. Here's where I want to end with tonight. And then we're going to finish chapter 51 next time, and then we'll finish the book of Jeremiah as we'll quickly recount uh, the fall of Jerusalem in chapter 52. But here to say that Babylon is not going to stand. The world system is not going to stand. And I know that there are those that we look around and we get anxious and we wonder what is the future going to hold? What is, you know, the new leaders of our nation going to do? Whatever the case may be. Listen, the Lord will not forsake us because we have been redeemed, haven't we? And we belong to the Lord and Babylon's going to go down. So don't put your trust in Babylon and don't put your trust in the wisdom and the chariots and in the power of Babylon, but put your trust in the Lord. David would write in the Psalms, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And that's where strength is, and that's where stability is, and that's where joy will come into your heart in the days ahead, knowing that he is not going to forsake us, and that we have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ through the cross of Calvary, and he's going to come back and establish his kingdom. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time as we look at Babylon falling. All of this is going to be fulfilled. We may not know exactly how the pieces of the puzzle come together, but, Lord, we do know that as um, right before the second coming of Jesus, that Babylon will fall, has fallen greatly, and and the world has drunk of her wine. The Babylonian system, uh, that which is false, that which is evil, that which is demonic, taking people away from you, It will come to an end. But Lord, we who belong to you will not come to an end. So Lord, we don't have to fret. and We don't have to be upset. We know our future is certain. And Lord, I pray that we would give a message of hope to others that Jesus Christ came and died for them on the cross at Calvary and loves them. And they can belong to a kingdom that lasts forever. So Lord, help us keep our eyes on the things above, not on the things of this world, not on Babylon, but, Lord, on you, in your wisdom, your strength, your truth, you're our stability, you're our, uh, Lord, you're our uh, security, you're everything that we need. So I thank you for that. We can rejoice in the season that we're in because of that. So bless everyone here. Lord, help us to keep moving forward and uh, being used of you. We're here for such a time as this. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Hope we see you on Sunday.